Hi, this is Timothy Pig, and I want to welcome you to Text Driven Podcast, a podcast put out by the Ministry of Fellowship Church in Southwest Florida. Text Driven Podcast exists to equip you to know God and make Him known through text driven preaching and practice. To learn more about Fellowship Church, visit our website, fellowshipchurch.co. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Text Driven Podcast. We're walking through Dr. Jason K. Allen's book, Being a Christian, How Jesus Redeems All of Life. And just as a reminder to you, uh, this podcast is meant to be used for your own personal edification, but also in a discipling relationship. So I want to encourage you to find a friend that is also a believer and schedule a time weekly to sit down with them and read through this great resource. Utilize the podcast as study notes for you for each of those meetings. Maybe even encourage the person you're discipling to listen to it as well. So that when you guys come together, uh, whether that be at a Starbucks for coffee or that be for a meal each and every week, that you have some things that you're going to talk about concerning each of the chapters. Well, we've made it so far to chapter six. And in chapter six, Dr. Allen deals with how uh, the gospel is meant to redeem our money. And the opening paragraph of this chapter really strikes, it struck me with uh, uh, some information that um, is quite interesting. Uh, Some things that I guess I just hadn't wrapped my mind around, and it probably will do the same to you as we look at it. On page 69, listen to this. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about money than any other topic? He says, in fact, 16 of Christ's 38 parables reference our handling of earthly treasures. Almost half of the parables that Jesus used to teach the disciples are parables that have to deal with possessions, with money, with assets, with with things that we have. It's remarkable to me. He goes on to say that in the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses is about Jesus addressing money. Now, how interesting is that? One out of every 10 verses, when you think about the Gospels, certainly you think about the story of feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, the transfiguration, all the healing miracles that Jesus uh, did when he uh, was alive and doing his ministry. But the Gospel writers, one out of every 10 of their verses is going to deal with this topic of money, which as... Dr. Allen uh, remarks on page 69, he says, I learned long ago that what is important to Jesus ought to be important to me. That's just something we should take a second and talk about for for just a moment. If Jesus finds it important enough to talk about and talk about it repeatedly to such an extent that when the gospel writers wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, one out of every 10 verses is dealing with the topic of money— Don't you think God cares about how we use our money? Dr. Allen says on page 70 at the top, as his gospel transforms our life, as the gospel of Jesus transforms our life, he transforms our view of money and its use. 
Now, we all know the passage of Scripture that says the love of money is the root of all evil. That love of money. How we treat our money has the potential, Dr. Allen says on page 70, to decay our hearts, pollute our ambitions, and stain our Christian lives. In that final paragraph, right before the major heading, he has this quote, Money, rightly stewarded, can provide for our families, support our churches, bless Christian ministries, care for the needy, and generate a host of other biblical and practical goods. So while money can be, the love of money can be a source of decay to our Christian lives and cause a stain in our Christian lives, the right use of money, or as the Bible determines it, stewardship can do a host of good biblical things such as caring for your home, caring for the church, caring for the needy, supporting ministries. All of these are good things if we know how to utilize money well. On the bottom of page 70, page 71, and the top of page 72, uh, Dr. Allen shares several scripture passages. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to list those for you. But if you're discipling someone, once again, I encourage you, open up your Bible, help the person you're discipling to open their Bible so they get used to using a Bible, encourage the person you're discipling to bring a Bible with them. Now, I get it. Using your phone is an easy thing to do. Pulling up the Bible app on your iPad or your phone and just clicking a few uh, taps on a screen is super easy to do. However, it is a better uh, practice to have a physical Bible in front of you to open it and to use that Bible. It is a skill that is being lost today because we have technology, but it's a skill that's so desperately needed. So here are the passages I encourage you read carefully with the person you're discipling. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. Luke chapter 16, verses 13 through 15. Those are both statements of Jesus concerning money. And then the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10. Five, all of those passages that I just listed are good ones for you to sit down with the person you're discipling, read through them carefully, and talk about what they mean. Help the person you're discipling to be able to interpret scriptures. What does the passage say? What does the passage teach me about who God is? What does the pas uh, passage teach me about man? And then finally, based on what the passage teaches, how can you apply that to your life, to your family, and to your church? So these are uh, important lessons that you can begin to incorporate into your discipling, how to use your Bible. 
for the rest of this episode, what I want us to do is do a 30,000 foot overview, 30,000 feet overview of the seven principles that Dr. Allen says are the redeemed approach to money. The seven principles of the redeemed approach to money. The first principle that he says is don't love the provision, love the provider. And he's quoting Matthew chapter 6, verses 26 through 33, where the Bible teaches how Jesus provides for his world. And if he's going to provide for his world, will he not much more provide for us? Now, the provisions that God gives to us is something that we certainly should be thankful for and even enjoy the food that he provides, the shelter that he provides, the clothing that he provides. All of these provisions are for our enjoyment. But we must not lose the fact that those provisions came from God, our provider. See, too often what we can end up doing is we can end up enjoying the provision to such an extent that we actually end up forgetting God is the provider. And I love what he says on page 74, we should delight in the giver most of all. And God is the giver to us of all of our provisions. Number two. Pursue contentment more than gain. Now, this is a problem that we experience in uh, American church. We want more. We want more money. We want more stuff. We want more toys. We want more. That is the world we live in. That is the battle that we face with our flesh, always wanting more. But as Dr. Allen points out, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says that godliness with contentment is great gain. That what God is looking for from us is that we would be content with what he has provided. That we would pursue contentment more than gain. Now this fits with that first redeemed principle. Because in that first redeemed principle, we are to love the provider, not the provisions. In this second principle, in pursuing contentment, that is the outflow of what happens when we love the provider, not the provisions. Because we will realize that in Christ, our provider, we have all that we need. Therefore, we can be content. That's exactly what Dr. Allen says on page 74 in that last sentence. He says, realize that in Christ, you have all you need. Be content in him. Number three, view all that you have through the prism of stewardship. Now, stewardship's not something that we hear talked about very often anymore. But the principle of stewardship goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. When God created Adam, he planted him, he put him in the garden to work the garden and to keep the garden, which means that he made 
Adam the first steward over his world, over God's world. He defines stewardship in this way. Dr. Allen does on page 74 and 75. To be a steward is to recognize that we are not the owners of our possessions, just temporary overseers. And this goes back to us understanding that the world in which we live in is God's world. And everything inside the world is God's possession. He owns it all. He is the creator. Therefore, everything that you have has is under the ownership of God. Ultimately, the house you live in is God's house. Ultimately, the family that you have is God's family. The money that's in your bank account is God's money. Everything that you have materially in your life is uh, because of God's ownership. And he has placed it into your care for you to oversee it and use it properly. Number four, prioritize giving to God. Prioritize giving to God. If you're going to have a redeemed understanding, a gospel understanding of your money, then you must prioritize giving to God. Dr. Brown says, I have heard church members insist that they will start giving to God when they can afford it. That thinking is not only unbiblical, but also foolish. Now, you might be struck by that, and you might think, wow, that is a harsh thing for Dr. Allen to say. But he's exactly correct. Just because it is harsh does not eliminate its truthfulness. You might have heard a pastor say one time, uh, to the response of a person who says, I cannot afford to give, you might have heard this response from a pastor. You cannot afford not to give. Why is that? Because giving is a characteristic of a Christian. Listen to what he says when he talks about tithing on page 76. Now, tithing is the giving of 10% of what you have unto the Lord. 10% of your income to the Lord. Listen to what he says on page 76. They, some Christians, fall into this pitfall. They, those Christians, view 10% as a spiritual tax, one that they should give to God and then proceed to do as they will with the rest. But biblical stewardship teaches us that God doesn't own 10% of our money. He owns all of it. Then he says on page 77, I would encourage you not to view 10% as a ceiling of how much to give, but a floor and seek his will as to strategic kingdom opportunities within and beyond your church. Okay. Number five, forget not God's provisions. Forget not God's provisions. God provides in amazing ways. 
He's provided for you physically and financially, I'm sure, at times. But how often do we forget the goodness of our God as a provider? And Dr. Allen gives a, uh, an example, an illustration, maybe even a point of application, you could call it, that what him and his wife did, every time God met a financial need, they journaled that in a book. And the reason why they journaled that was so that they could always look back and remember and make sure they would never forget just how good God is. I want to encourage you to do that exact same principle. Number six, value working, saving, and investing. The book of Proverbs has much to say about the value of work and the need for work, the value of saving and making sure that you are taking care of what God has given to you. Do not be haphazard in your giving. Uh, do not be haphazard in your spending of resources, but instead, have a budget in your home and work from that budget, okay? Number seven, cultivate the heart of a cheerful giver. Cultivate a heart of a cheerful giver. Now, you might say, uh, Pastor Tim, I am not a naturally given giving person. And uh, the truth is, really, nobody is. Uh, apart from Christ, nobody is a cheerful giver in the terms that the Bible describes. But the moment we have uh, given our life to Christ and Christ now lives in us, for us, and through us, a life of giving is what will come from a life controlled by Christ. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, that God loves a cheerful giver. Dr. Allen makes it a key to say on page 79 that it is a Christian distinctive to be a cheerful giver. Now, does that mark your life? Are you a cheerful giver? If I was to have access to your bank account and could look at your statement every month, would your statement demonstrate that you are a cheerful giver? Or does your statement indicate that you're a selfish keeper? Are you a cheerful giver or a selfish keeper? Now, in your discipling relationship, uh, as you're sitting down over lunch or over coffee, I want to encourage you to have personal and frank conversation concerning finances. I want to encourage you to maybe even work together on a family budget, on a personal budget. And the first thing you need to do on that personal budget is you need to recognize what God has given to you. And that's where you write down your income. And you look at how God is providing for you through that income. Then the second thing you need to do is make sure you've set the, the floor of your giving, which is, as Dr. Allen pointed out, a tithe to your church. 
And then from there, you add in your expenses and you add in uh, everything else into your budget and you will be amazed to see at how God is a good, gracious God and how he has provided for you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Text Driven Podcast. For more resources like this one, go to our website, www.fellowshipchurch.co. If you're ever in the Southwest Florida area, I'd love to personally invite you to our services on Sunday. You can find one of our campuses, whether that be in Immokalee or Ave Maria, and join us for worship on the Lord's Day. We'd love to be able to welcome you home at Fellowship Church. God bless. We're praying for you as you live a text-driven life. God bless.